0: Um, right now are, are spikes in uh, sadness, um, depression, anxiety. Um, we're seeing more suicide attempts now than we've seen in a long time. And some of that has spiked because of COVID, because of the, the opportunities for, for young people not to be with other people has, has created more of a sense of, of sadness, depression, anxiety, than what they experienced before. But that's not really a result of COVID, that, that the problems that we've seen have been sort of long-term in growing. And as we look at some of the research and some of the things that it's talking about, the reasons for all of that are pretty difficult to parse out. There are a lot of things that are going on with young people that make this time a time of particular anxiety and a time of particular sadness. Um, Some of it has to do with being connected all the time on a smartphone but not having really good connections with people face to face. Some of it has to do with living in a world that's just complicated where they get bombarded with one problem after another consistently over and over again. Some of it has to do with the fact that that this generation of young people has been a little more protected and cared for, and in some ways, they may not have developed some of the skills of dealing with the stressors of life, and some of that may have to do with it. It's a a multifaceted kind of problem, but it it seems like to me that the response parents, grandparents, Mentors, church, is that we desperately need to be on our knees before the living God praying for this generation of young people. I've been a little bit captured uh, lately by a prayer that Paul offered to the Ephesian church. And I thought maybe that would be a good place for us to go. Um, so I'm going to ask us to look at that prayer this morning. Um, it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll start reading at about verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 14. I'm going to get my glasses so that I can see even the little numbers. Paul writes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from every family in heaven and on earth, from whom every family on heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being." to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, I want to start a little bit with with just sort of setting up Paul's prayer, setting up the things that he talks about. You know, when he first starts out, he says, For this reason. Now. you guys know that when we see something like that, you know, a therefore or a for this reason or because of that, that we need to go back and look at what's come before. You know, so when you go back and start to look at what's happened before in chapter 3, the crazy thing is if you start out chapter 3, the very first thing he says is, for this reason. (laughs) So we got to back up another page to try to figure out what's going on with Paul. Now, what Paul is talking about in chapter 2, is he's talking about how the Gentiles had been brought into the fold of the church, how they had become members of the body of Christ even though they didn't have the background of the Jews. They hadn't been given the law. They hadn't grown up with all of the the prophecies about who the Messiah would be, that none of that really was there for them. But, But nevertheless, Paul says, you Gentiles have been brought into the fold. Um, he's talking about the Gentiles, and then he comes down here to say, uh, verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is really kind of amazing news, because for the Jews, you know, they just kind of assumed when the Messiah was coming, the Messiah would be a Jewish Messiah, and he would lead the Jews back into prominence, and all of those kinds of things were attached to their sense of heritage, their sense of family, their sense of of belonging to the people of God. And now Paul's saying, yes, but you Gentiles, you people who are Irish and Chinese and Filipino, all of you people are part of God's plan for his church that you're welcomed into all of that and so because of all that we get to chapter 3 and Paul says for this reason now the funny thing that Paul does here is he starts to talk about how all of these things have led up to his specific calling now what Paul defends himself over and over again as being someone who was uh, an apostle called out by Christ to preach the gospel, to make the gospel clear. that here and in several other places, Paul talks specifically about his unique calling to make the gospel clear to those people who were outside of Jewish life, to the Gentiles. Um, if we start in verse uh, 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That what Paul is saying here is, it's not just that you've been made, that you've been given the opportunity to receive the gospel. It's that I've been given the opportunity to preach the gospel. So when Paul says, for this reason, as he starts to pray. Paul is talking about both of these things for this reason, because you've been invited into the kingdom and because I've been given this burden, this responsibility, this this gift, this, this calling to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Because of that, I pray. Paul is saying, you people despite the fact that you're not my people, you're not Jewish, that you people are in my heart, that I love you so much that I drop to my knees in prayer for you. Okay, I love that. Before we jump into the prayer, there's one other thing that I really want you to see as we kind of get things set up, because I just think it's too rich to miss. Okay, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. The word there in Greek is pater, Um, from whom every family, which is the word patria, um, in heaven and on earth is named. (laughs) Patria, the word he uses for family here, is actually the feminine version of the noun pater. So he's using a play on words where he says, those of you who, uh, because of the father, because of the father that All people, all families, all the patria have taken their name from him. Now, now get what he's saying, because this is really cool. What he says is, for the Jews, they were called Jews, why? Well, because they trace their lineage back to the ancestor Judah, you know, the son of Israel or Jacob. That, That they're called Jews because they bear the name of Judah. Israel was called Israel because of their father, Jacob, whose other name was Israel, that that was... I got a new Bible, and so it's not like staying flat very well. So you guys, if I kind of fumble around here, that's why. (laughs) Maybe that's one of the reasons why. The other reason may just be that I'm kind of klutzy, you know, and that that can be a problem too. But but, but just... the Jews trace their heritage, the, the, the nation Israel traces their heritage back to Israel, to Jacob. They are the children of Jacob. They're named. They receive their name from Israel. And the honest truth is that if you talk to the Jews, that they would always say, we are children of Abraham, that they find their heritage, their identity in Abraham. I don't know if it's true of all cultures, but at least in the culture in the Bible, in in my culture, that I got my name, Kelly, because that's my father's name my father was a Kelly, and so I became a Kelly and his father before him was a Kelly that the pater passed on his name to the patria you know that the, the father passes his name on to the family to the children and our family was the Kelly family because my dad gave us his name. One of the things that I think is funny about this my grandmother uh, she, she loved my granddad so much he, he died the year I was born actually, and she never quit grieving for him. She just loved him so much. And when I was born, my, my grandmother says, well, I hope that you will name your son, Paul John Kelly the III. <laughs> she wanted me not just to have the Kelly name, but to have all of his names, and to gotta kind of get a number behind that to kind of distinguish me from every other, every other person. And my dad said to his, his mother, my grandmother said, yeah, every kid that I've ever known that was named the third got picked on at school, and I'm not going to do that to my kids. So he gave me a different middle name. So I only ended up with two names from my dad, you know, and two names from my grandfather, which was a great grief to my grandmother. But in any case, I received even my first name. From my my father and from my grandfather, that that they passed on the name. But, but, But see, what Paul is saying here is that God is Father. And that every family ultimately draws its name not just from the heritage that they have from their earthly fathers, from their ancestors but to their, from their maker, that God be, is the father of every family. If you're a mom or a dad here today, it's a good thing to give your kids a sense of family heritage, to give them a name, to tell them, you know, we, we Kellys do things a certain way. <laughs> but ultimately, the name of every family ought to be not just what the kellys do or the changs do or the sackoviches how on earth did you get a name like sackovich how the sackoviches do you know that we ought not to just be those kinds of folks but we need to be raising our kids our families to understand that their name is not merely drawn from human lineage but that they actually Receive their name from their maker, from God. In in a sense, every human being, whether they're in Indonesia or Afghanistan or Belgium or California, are created as children of God and given His image as their marker. I I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying because Paul is not saying here that everyone is a child of God in the sense that they're going to be receiving His inheritance, that they're going to spend eternity with Him. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that every family on, uh, on earth is given this unique gift of being created by the Father and drawing their sense of personhood, their sense of name from Him. I heard an illustration one time. I don't, I don't really remember where I heard it, uh, but, but it was a, a little story that I'm sure is a preacher story, which means it's made up and not true, you know, <laughs> which is kind of scary when you think about it. But the, 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 uh, the, 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 the story goes that there's a little boy who loves to go down and play at the little lake by his house, you know. And so he decides that it'll be really fun if he had a boat to play with on that lake. So he goes in and finds a little piece of wood in his garage, and he works on it and carves it so that it looks kind of like a boat. And then he, you know, finds a dowel rod and sort of fits this dowel rod into it, attaches a little sail that he's made to it. He paints it bright blue with some paint that, you know, they had found from from a house that, that was painted sometime before. And he gets this thing, attaches a little string to it, you know. And he takes it down and he puts it in the lake and he's really excited about seeing his little boat that's bobbing along in the water and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden the string breaks and the boat goes kind of floating off and he tries to get it back and trace it back and the boat just kind of floats off away from him. He can't get back to it. He finally just gives up and goes home sad. Well, the story goes that the next day the little boy is walking down the street and and looks into the window of this junk store And unbelievably, his boat is in this window. So he goes in and he tells the owner of the store. He says, this is my boat. You know, you found my boat. And the man says, oh, no, somebody came in and I paid them a little money for this. So if you want that boat, you're going to have to buy it. Well, this discourages the little boy, but he goes home and he thinks about the money that he had gotten for his birthday. And he goes and gets the little bit of money that he has. And he takes it back to the junk store and he buys this little boat. And as he's leaving, he looks at the boat and says, this boat is now mine twice. First because I made it, and then because I bought it. It's a simple illustration, but the point is that we belong to Christ because He created us, because we have His image, because we are His in that sense. And because we've chosen to walk away from Him, to live in sin, to live apart from Him, that He chose to buy us back at great price to Himself through the death of His Son, Jesus, so that we could be not just taking His family name as our pater, but also as knowing Him as our Lord and as our Savior, that we then receive all the inheritance of Christ. So as Paul starts to enter into this prayer, starts to tell the people what he's praying for them, he does this on the basis of the fact that they're not just Gentile believers, but that they're believers that have taken their name from God. So he starts to pray. He says... "...according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I tell the folks in my Bible teaching class that one of the things that you should do when you start to prepare a Bible study or you start to prepare a sermon or something like that is that you look for the words or the ideas that are repeated often in a passage. And and in this passage, one of the thoughts, one of the ideas that keeps coming up is this thought of power uh, Paul actually uses three different words in this passage to talk about power. Um, he, he uses, the, the first word that he uses specifically means power, dunamas, you know, really is talking about power, but he also uses a word for strength that means to, to, to gather the ability to do something, to have the power to do something. And then he uses another word that really means that, that, that I have been given the ability to do something that's difficult to do, that I have the power to be able to accomplish a difficult task, that he uses these three different words as synonyms to talk about what God is doing. Now, it's really not a big surprise that Paul talks about praying power. Paul prays power for these folks. This is Ephesus, right? I don't know if you guys remember what all happens in the church in Ephesus in in Acts chapter 19, but as Paul is there from the beginning, you know, Paul goes in and he sees God just doing many miracles in Ephesus, which is kind of exciting. In fact, there are some folks who were taking these books of magic and actually burning their books of magic because they're receiving the gospel, they're hearing what God is doing. That, that, that this magic that the Ephesians are practicing apparently was prevalent through, through, through Ephesus. And so as they're trying to, to, to sort of rid themselves of that, that, that it's letting go of a sense of power that they had because they're looking to Christ instead of looking to, to control their circumstances. <laughs> Not only that, but in Ephesus, we have the worship of the goddess Artemis. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about who Artemis was, you know. In some ways, um, she's equated with the, uh, uh, with the Greek goddess Diana, although probably not exactly. She's, she's sort of a, a goddess that's grown up or that's been established in, in Asian society and probably was the predominant um, deity in in pagan society in in asia minor so so artemis worship worship with artemis she was she was the goddess of uh, uh, of fertility and so when people wanted to try to gain power over, you know, finding a husband or a wife, finding someone to spend their life with, they would sacrifice to Diana or attend worship services with Artemis. When when they were looking for for a way to conceive children and they were having difficulty with conception, that they would turn to Artemis and and, and sacrifice to Artemis or ask to gain power in terms of the ability to do those things. Or when when they were they were about to go through a woman was about to go through uh, through uh, birth, childbirth, that she would pray to Artemis to protect her and to uh, basically become the midwife to her to, to allow the, 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 the labor to go well in many, many other ways that they would look to Artemis to give them uh, a sense of power in their lives, particularly as they were bearing children and, and raising children. Not only that, but there were um, silversmiths that were living in Ephesus that were making little idols of Artemis and the idols apparently were inscripted with magic words that had to do with the worship of Artemis. Um, there were even amulets that, that they would make, you know, where they would give people something to wear that would have magic words from the worship of Artemis that would be inscribed on it. And all of those things were about finding ways to gain power in their lives. It's not much surprise that Paul is praying power for the people at Ephesus. What is surprising is what he prays that power for. He he doesn't pray for them to be able to overcome all of the pagan culture in Ephesus. He could have prayed that, but he doesn't. He, He doesn't pray that they would be able to feed all the people who were coming to Christ or all the people who were hungry that were living among them. He certainly could have prayed that, but he doesn't. He doesn't pray that God would would help them to to have the power to heal diseases or that God would help them to have the power to to proclaim uh, the the message of Christ boldly. He He doesn't pray those things here. That what he prays instead two things. First of all, looking back at verse 16 and 17, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He doesn't pray for any of those externals that his prayer at this point at least for the Ephesians is that they could walk with a sense that Christ is with them and in them and living with them and abiding in them strengthening them encouraging them that they are living with Jesus If we boil Christianity down to its least, absolutely least form, Christianity is a relationship with Christ that's received because of the gospel by faith. Certainly, we want to teach the doctrines of, of, of the faith. certainly, we want people to understand how to overcome problems and. certainly all of that's true, but if we boil it down to the most essential component, Christianity is a relationship. It's living with the person of Christ who indwells me so that I'm not walking alone. Thanks for your song. That I'm never meant to walk alone. That I walk through life with Christ and Paul prays that they'll experience the presence of Christ in their innermost being because of God's great grace and the work of the Holy Spirit that they'll experience this incredible relationship with Christ. In a world where we experience such division between Democrats and Republicans, between Russians and Ukrainians, broken families in in a world where we have a generation of teenagers that feel alienated and isolated and on their own I cannot imagine anything richer or more powerful for our people our nation, our time than to know that we can live with an inner awareness of the life of Christ dwelling in our hearts. Paul prays for the power not to do all these external things, but the power to walk with Christ, to know Christ in my heart. The second thing that he prays, if we go on from there, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be, have strength to comprehend all the saints, uh, with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It, it's funny because when you're translating a, a passage from, from the Greek to the Hebrew, you have to not just figure out what the words mean, but also figure out how they fit together, you know? And, and in this passage, in the the, the uh, uh, ESV has, has added the word and so that we can say the breadth, the na- length, the depth, height, the knowledge and to know the love of Christ. In other words, they're saying that those are two different things. I don't actually think that that's true. I think that what Paul is talking about is that this love of Christ is what he wants us to experience, the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of, that he wants us to be able to have the power to understand that kind of love. Guys, think about this, that what he's saying is that the love of Christ is so high that if I just keep looking up that I can't, can't see the top of it, that it just goes on and on as far as I can see, that he says that the breath, that, the, that, the, that the, the love of Christ is so deep that if I look down that I can't see the bottom of it, it just keeps going down farther and farther, that if I try to get to the edges of it, that it's so wide that I can't get around it, that if I try to go through it and just muscle my way through the love of Christ, that I can never get to the other side because it's so deep, that that's what the love of Christ is, that that's the way that Paul describes what the love of Christ is for us. That his amazing, incredible love is so big that all we can do is see it. He says one other thing that I think is really amazing. He says that uh, uh, that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you you see what he's saying? He said, okay, I want you to know something that actually can't be known. (laughs) Isn't that fun? In the the Greek, it actually says... um, to know the surpassing knowledge love <laughs> it says that says this is what it is, that we have this love that absolutely surpasses How on earth do we know something that is beyond knowing? I don't know. The more we get to know it, the more we realize that we just have to stand in awe because it's bigger than what we can expect. It's bigger than what we can know. It's bigger than what we can see. That this love of God, of Christ, is so huge for us that we can never do more than just sit back and say, the more I understand, the more I realize he loves me that much more. And when I feel like that I've wrecked my life and that he just can't love me anymore, that somehow God's love is bigger and bigger fuller and fuller to the point that all I can do is stand in awe of how much I'm loved. And in a world where young people feel sad and lonely and by themselves, I think what Paul would pray for them is that they will know that kind of If you're here today and you're a a parent, pray these things for your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pray that they'll make good grades, (laughs) that they'll do well in school. Pray that they'll have good friends. Pray that they'll make good decisions. All of those things, absolutely, before your head hits the pillow. Pray that they'll experience Christ present with them in their inmost beings. And that they'll understand how incredibly powerfully (coughs) they're loved by Christ. If you're a grandma or a grandpa, pray the same things for your grandkids. Pray that they'll know what it is to walk with Christ in their inmost being. And pray that they'll experience this incredible love that Christ has for them. But church, part of the call for us always, in every generation, is to pass the faith on to the next generation. And whether you're a youth teacher or you've never even had a conversation with one of the young people in this church, I believe that our call is to pray for the next generation. Yes, that they'll understand the message of Christ, that they'll understand the teachings and the doctrine. That yes, that, they'll, that they'll, they'll live their lives in a way that's pleasing and honoring to God, but more than that, that they'll experience the relationship that they can have with Christ in their heart, in their inner being when they receive Him by faith. And that they'll know unspeakable, unimaginable love that God has for them, that I believe that as a church that we call out the names of the young men and the young women and the boys and the girls that are here in our church to God with that kind of prayer. I believe that we have that responsibility. And if you have time left, pray that for me. Because I think this is not just a prayer for young people, but it's a prayer for us that as God's people, that we would have the power to walk closely with God to experience His work in our hearts. And that every morning we'd stand in awe once again of the love of Christ that defies Knowledge. Paul ends this prayer with a blessing. He says, Now to him who is able, meaning God, to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. do you, you say? He's saying, I'm praying this for you, but I want you to understand that God is able to and willing to do this and do it more and more and more so that even the fragile prayers that I offer for young people in my life, for other people in my life to know Christ and to experience his love, that even those fragile prayers that God does more than we could ever ask or expect or want out of that, that God will respond, that this is a promise that God is up to things that are bigger than we could even imagine. have confidence and pray that God moves with young people in this church with the old people in this church that we would know His love to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen